Good evening. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jen. And this is a, a late night edition of Unstable Moms. We had to wait for children to go to bed. Well, yours. Well, just one of mine. The other one has a couple more days of vacation before they start being camp. Anyway, so we're going to do like we did last time. And we're going to do another fun Would You Rather to get to know Jennifer and myself. So let's find a good one. All right. Would you rather get your wisdom teeth pulled or your butt cheeks pierced? <laughs> um well i don't have wisdom teeth anymore so i think how are they pierced i don't know i think even i would rather get my wisdom teeth pulled again because it actually wasn't that bad right and also if you've got your butt cheeks pierced could people see it through your clothes imagine if you were like, sliding like, off of something like the edge of the pool it. and it got stuck what if it's on the bottom of your butt cheeks where... It like your butt crease? Like, yeah. That's where what John and I call that the butt crease. Because then like, you could just like... It wouldn't matter. Well, But unless you're sitting on the edge of a pool. But like our butts are so big, it would be seen. I know. And then it'd probably get infected. That's true because there's like... I don't know. I was going to say still something gonna, I'm going to stick. You sweat and stuff. There's moisture. It's moist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially in Texas in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with wisdom teeth still. Yeah, I would pick the wisdom teeth too. I mean, at least then you get the good drugs. That's true. I think you... Didn't you help take care of me after I got my wisdom teeth taken out or something? No, it was my 16th birthday and I was having a sleepover. And you came over and took your meds and fell asleep on the couch at my house. Oh. Because you wanted to be at my sleepover for my birthday. <laughs> Couldn't miss your birthday. No. I mean, you kind of did, but... <laughs> I was still there. <laughs> I just wasn't there. You think so? Yeah. All right. So when I was doing all of the Lady Bird Lake stuff, I came across a story about Riyadh Hamad. So Riyadh was born in Beirut, Lebanon on September 2nd, 1952. And in 1971, at the age of 18, he immigrated to the U.S. He attained many degrees from the University of Texas in Austin and was pursuing his PhD in education technology at the time of his death. He was married to his wife, Diana, in 1981, and together they had two children. And when I was doing my research, I saw a divorce decree in 1993, and I'm not sure if this is important later on, but I definitely noted it. Riyadh worked as a computer technology instructor at Clint Small Middle School in Austin, and he had been an instructor for the district for nearly a decade at the time of his passing. Sheila Anderson, the principal of Small Middle School, said that Riyadh was a longtime and valued member of Small Middle School faculty, and his love and passion for education touched us all. Riyadh was not only passionate about education, he was also very passionate about helping others. In July of 2003, Riyadh founded Palestinian Children's Welfare Fund, which they also called the PCWF. Through this organization, he was able to provide aid to Palestinian children, women, and families in need. With his foundation, he was able to find physicians to go to occupied territories, along with finding dentists for children there, too. He was able to get visas for wounded children and even sent a child to Madrid for eye treatments. He was able to provide support for a family in Sadia, Sadia, S-A-I-D-A. Not sure if I'm saying that right, but it was just south of Beirut in Lebanon. Their only help was from Riyadh. He helped meet families' educational needs and provided medical equipment for their two disabled children. He just sounded like he was an all-around nice guy. Trying to help everybody. Sounds like a good 
dude. Yeah, so sad. He had a favorite pink shirt that he wore and said he was trying to get in touch with his feminine side. And there's quite a few pictures of him in front of the Capitol and I think in D.C. wearing a pale pink polo. So Riyadh would receive donations through his charity to help fund the aid he was providing to the families overseas and eventually teamed up with Middle East Children's Alliance, Kinder USA, and Holy Land Foundation. But in 2008, Riyadh became a person of interest in an investigation with the FBI. Uh, some people believe that he became a target because he was associated with the other organizations because they were all like helping Middle Eastern countries, I guess, and the U.S. of A. after 2001. Not so, not so great with those countries, I guess. So in February of that same year, there was a search warrant issued for Riyadh's home. The warrant was issued by Judge Robert Pittman, and Pittman was known to have hostility towards Palestinians and Arabs. He was no stranger to Riyadh. I guess they had had some back and forth previously and so some people were speculating that Riyadh was a person of interest based off of his aid and support of the Middle East especially since the judge who issued the warrant was very vocal with his stance on Middle East and Arabs but it just seemed like he was trying to help the kid right he's just trying to take care of his people exactly I mean send him money back home why not so on February 27 2008 18 FBI agents stormed Riyadh's home with guns drawn to execute the search warrant and to me that seems excessive yeah. I completely understand why they had to go in with guns because they have to like clear the scene and make sure there's nothing going on there but I don't really understand why there had to be 18 FBI agents for one single family home right like one or two would have been good right and it's not like he was being searched for like a violent offense or anything well they must have thought that he was being violent maybe but it says that he has zero history of violence so I think that's why it's a little sketch it was very sketchy, but I guess it was the time period and the fact that he's Middle Eastern. Maybe. Anyway, during the raid, agents left with over 40 boxes of evidence. In a sworn affidavit, it was noted that Riyadh's home had been under surveillance and that they were able to obtain information on Riyadh's closest friends and family. There was even like phone calls that his neighbors had told them they received trying to ask information about Riyadh. I guess they were trying to come up with his daily routine and stuff like that. And I was also able to find an inventory of items that were seized during the raid and... It is a long list. It was 14 pages of things that they collected. Yeah, of items that they collected in 40 boxes. Uh, That's crazy. And I'm not sure if it was just 14 pages of like a list of things or if the 14 pages in the affidavit was full of legal jargon in between. But like, buckle up. Here we go. In the raid. Either way, it's a a lot of pages. (laughs) They confiscated miscellaneous bills from the dash of a bmw a notepad with notes from a briefcase that was found in a ford explorer tax returns from a canvas bag deposit slips pay stubs spreadsheet with names addresses and phone numbers articles of incorporation for arab american culture society miscellaneous medical records cd-roms cassette and camcorder tapes and for those that don't know cassette tapes were what we used to listen to audio on before cds (laughs) in streaming services just a fyi (laughs) a little old yeah a little bit well i was talking to my coworkers about 
I guess our power had went out. I don't know how we got on the topic. And I was like, Wyatt came home and said, okay, well, let's just watch a movie. Because I said, we can't play on the iPad because the internet's not working. He said, okay, well, let's get the Roku remote. And I was like, "Mm, no, pause. No Roku. (laughs) He's like, well, why can't we use the Roku? And I said, because there's no internet. And our cell service is horrible out here. And he was like, okay, well, let's just watch Netflix on the iPad. And I said, no, there is no internet. And he's like, well, you said I could watch a movie. So I was like, come here, son. Let me show you. So I busted out the briefcase of DVDs that I still have stashed. Well, at least you have those. I don't have any DVDs anymore. Yeah. Well, I was telling that story to the teenagers that I'm working at summer camp with. And they were like, man, I remember even like 10 years ago, I was raised on DVDs. I was like, no, no. Try VHS tapes, my friends. VHS. And I was like. more bulky. You guys know what that is, right? And they were like, yeah, I've heard of them. And I was like, okay, cool. So anyway, they had cassette and camcorder tapes. They found letters, W-2 forms, airline luggage tags, Dell Optiplex, an HP Pavilion, Gateway Laptop, two compact Presario computers, two thumb drives, two gig memory card, two floppy disks. Again, those were before. <laughs> Before we had thumb drives, they were OG. Like when we used to play Oregon Trail in middle school on a floppy disk. I don't think I ever made it to the end of that game. Uh, No, because you die before you get there. I always died. I'm positive it was always like dysentery. Yes, it was always dysentery. Or like somebody dying in the river. I don't know. My wagon would break. I don't know. (laughs) You just never made it to the end. Never. I don't know if there was an ending. Probably not. They probably probably didn't even create an ending because they knew that we would all die before we got there. Yeah, because most people did on the Oregon Trail. They just are like, statistically, they didn't make it. So we're not going to let it happen for these people. (laughs) Exactly. We don't even have to finish this game. (laughs) They also seized passports. 80 videotapes from his closet, videotapes, cassettes probably, medical bills from 1998 to the present, so 10 years worth, mortgage contracts, packages he had received from New York in the package, I guess, was out in the trash outside, random handwritten papers from Volkswagen of America, and a war on freedom book. All right. And I think that might have just been an abbreviated list that I found because that doesn't seem like 14 pages worth, but I could be wrong. They have one thing on each page. Right. And let's just have a definition of everything and all the information about it. And then we'll move on to the next page. Yeah. According to a federal agent, this warrant was requested on behalf of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. They stated they had probable cause that there was an illegal fraud scheme utilizing nonprofit organizations. They said that they also had probable cause that false documents were being sent to the Middle East using the United States Postal Service and wire transfers communications. And they also noticed a failure to file income tax from 1996 to 2003 and 2005 and tax evasion from 99 to 06. So he was, they were saying that maybe some of the passports and stuff they were sent over were all fraudulent. So they were sending money to aid the terrorists, I guess, in the Middle East and using the guise of children. Yeah, a nonprofit. According from the, uh, to the website Counterpunch, there was zero evidence connecting Riyadh to terrorism. However, there did seem to be some probable cause for their speculation of money laundering. There was also very little information on where Riyadh spent his money. Riyadh would send large cash payments to occupied Palestinian territories, but it turned out that the person receiving the funds, per the affidavit, was a well-known nonviolent activist. So they were saying that, like, oh, he's sending these money 
companies to people and we don't know, but then they'd find out who it was and it still, I guess, wasn't good enough information that they had where it went. And then it said he would send large amounts of money to the Middle East in charities with no records on how those funds were distributed. So they believed that the charities would then funnel the money into the Middle East and to terrorism organizations. Riyadh would post an accounting of the donations of the ch- on his charity's website, and there was a total from January 2001 to January of 2008 of ni- $491,715.05 in donations received, but then it only showed $331,897 in expenses. So there was a gap there. Yeah, where'd that other money go? Right, and he's not filing tax returns, so... Well, and if you're donating to a charity, isn't that a good thing on your tax returns? So he wasn't donating, though. He was receiving the donated oh, funds. Oh, okay. So if you donate to a charity, then you can use it as a tax write-off. Right. Like if you'd go to like Goodwill or Salvation Army and you get your receipt. Mm-hmm. Right. I've never gotten a tax break. I guess so I don't he donate was enough. Getting those, though. Right. So he was getting the funds and then distributing them. So then in 2005, there were large gaps in the numbers online where he didn't post some numbers publicly. And then he would like repost the same numbers twice by mistake and all within that same year of 2005. However, an attorney that helped Riyadh after the raid on his home said that most small nonprofits have terrible record keeping practices. So these types of issues wouldn't have been uncommon. And one of his friends even made the comment that he was a quote unquote lousy bookkeeper and suspected that that was the reason the feds were able to find enough probable cause for the search warrant to begin with, which I can understand because yeah. I have ADHD. So I either have it all or I have pieces of it. Right. <laughs> so the feds also believe that Riyadh was a tax protester. He had filed a form called the Redirects redirect tax money away from Israel in 2002 and 2007. Apparently, this was a document used by anti-tax groups as a way to justify not paying income taxes. So I guess it was just like a letter saying, I don't even know, just like, I don't owe taxes because of X, Y, and Z. And he would submit it and then like think, okay, I've filed my taxes and I choose not to pay. Uh, He also declared zero withholdings from his paychecks. And then in 2005, he filed an extension on his taxes. He input zero dollars for his tax liability, total payments for 2005, balance due, and the amount you're paying. So he was just like, nope, not a, not doing any of it. It almost sounds like he's like one of those sovereign people that think they don't have to abide by all the laws of the state. Yeah, what are they like, the Republic of Texas people? Right. I used to have some of them call when I worked for the constables, and they'd be like, if you get any of these people on the phone, you send them straight to me. You don't talk to them at all. <laughs> <laughs> we have them in court all the time, and I don't know yeah. why they think that they can take it to like they'll take it all the way to a jury trial and still lose and still think that they're right right because they think that the laws don't apply to them because they're part of the republic of texas and not the state of texas yeah so one of the prosecutors explained it to me and they said that something about has something to do with the gold standard and whenever the united states Mm -hmm. got rid of the gold standard and started doing social security they decided that social social security numbers made them basically not human I don't know I'll have to like ask him to explain it again but it was like it makes them if you if you agree to the social security numbers then you have like a bank account with the United States and they are using you and you're not not a human you are a number and so they say that they're sovereign so sovereign from the United States 
even though well, I, I mean they're not wrong because basically what you do when you're overpaying your taxes to get that refund you're basically giving the federal government a loan on your tax money that they reimburse you back whenever you file the return and you get the overage that you paid in. So you're basically giving them like free money that they can collect interest on until they reimburse you. That's true. So the I, I guess the ideal goal is to get zero back because you want to make sure that you balance everything to where you get little back or zero balance. Like you don't want to owe and you don't want to have this big overage. Right. I'm not I, a, I don't <laughs> I don't know. That prosecutor explained it really well. And of course, I should have like recorded it or wrote it down because right now my brain is like, I know what I'm saying, but I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, you're really confident that you don't know what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, Riyadh said, "Mm, thanks, no thanks, I'm not paying taxes. <laughs> so on April 6th, Riyadh composed the following email. Dear friends, do not respond to this email as it is for your information only. Besides the government harassment, the hateful environment from some of the students at school because I am an Arab and a Muslim. And their racist comments, I have been getting phone calls around midnight by someone saying, Where is your camel? And last, a car was vandalized about two years ago. Last night around 1:30 in the morning, someone rang the bell and ran away. And you could hear all the dogs in the neighborhood barking when the person who rang the bell ran away. A real loving environment towards Arabs and Muslims. And it makes me wonder, what have I done wrong? And it was very, the way the I, the email reads, it's like there's not a lot of punctuation. He does, what is it, the, the three dots? What is that called? Oh, the ellipses. Yeah. So instead of having like a punctuation and a start to a sentence, he would have those. So it just sounded a little rambling. I don't know. Yeah, I would have responded if I got that email. What would you have said? <laughs> I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Like, I don't know what I would say, but I just feel like even if you sent me an email and you're like, hey, this is just for your information, this, 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 and this is happening, like, I would have a response for it, regardless of if you said don't respond. Yeah. So to me, it sounds like he was under the impression that the U.S. government was harassing him because he was Muslim and he was helping send money overseas to the Middle East and the United States didn't exactly have like warm fuzzy feelings towards the middle east after 9-11 so there's that there was just so much hate and misinformation being spread about muslims back then especially with like their ties to the united states attacks and i don't think we were as americans fully informed about everything and everybody just tied all middle eastern countries and muslims together wrongfully so i would say in my opinion uh there was just so much propaganda and i totally understand the paranoia that he had especially when he had 18 agents raiding his house. So then on April 14, 2008, Riyadh's friend Paul spoke with him on the phone. And during the interview, he said that Riyadh was speaking in a very hushed voice. And Paul went on to explain that they had received a donation at their newly established California address for the charity. And Riyadh's response was, well, it doesn't matter. So Riyadh was reported missing that same evening by his wife. He had said he was going to the pharmacy and he'd be back and he didn't come back. So she authorized the authority to use his cell phone GPS to try and locate him and I think that was part of the way that they found him but not completely. So they were able to find his vehicle on Lakeshore Boulevard on the south shore of our favorite lake in the infamous Ladybird Lake. Authorities searched the area and the water near where his car was found but they didn't locate Riyadh anywhere. So two days later on Wednesday April 16th a person using the hike and bike trail around the lake noticed a body in the water wearing a very memorable pink polo shirt. 
The body was located on the north side of the lake on the east side of the I-35 bridge. Sounds a little familiar. It sure does. (laughs) (laughs) The woman that discovered the body stated that there was duct tape wrapped around his whole face. A second witness noted that he had duct tape around his mouth. So his was definitely foul play. You would think so, and that's what it sounds like. So the body was removed from the water and transported over to the medical examiner's office. The body was that of Riyadh. And reading through the autopsy report, there were some interesting findings, and I'll just read some of them to you. Uh, In the autopsy, they noted that his hands were loosely bound in front of his body with a phone wire. There was a very loose knot on his left wrist, and the cord was wrapped around his right wrist three times with another loose knot. His hands were separated by one and a half feet of cord. The ligature easily slipped off of his hands. His ankles were loosely bound with black speaker wire looped two times on each ankle it was looped against the skin on the right ankle and on top of his pants on the left and there was about six inches of cord between his ankles there was duct tape wrapped neatly two times around his head just above his eyes uh, and passes over the eyelids but does not cover his eyes and it does cover his ears but the witnesses said that it was like his head was totally wrapped oh and maybe the water just removed it a little bit I don't know but if they pulled him from the water with it totally wrapped or did they like try and remove it before he got to the medical examiner's office maybe maybe because they were trying to see if he was alive and like i mean figure out who he was i don't know but i think if they know that they're dead they would like check for signs of life before they touched anything in case there was that's true evidence i don't know how that works if he would like his wrists and his hands and stuff were loosely wrapped first of all why would you look why would you loosely wrap somebody and then throw them in the water whenever there's a chance that they could just get out? I don't know. Um, they also noted no trauma to the body and they were there were very early signs of decomposition. His death was listed as drowning and the manner of death was listed as a suicide. What? So I think what they're saying is like they were saying that because the knots were so loose and there was so much like space between his wrists and his ankles that he did it to himself before he went in. Who ties themselves up and then jumps into the river? Right. And so the other side of that is a conspiracy of like, did the U.S. government do this to him? And try to make it look like a suicide? Or did he kill himself and make it look questionable so that there was always this like mystery and conspiracy around his death? Right. So those are like the two major scenarios was he did it and tried to do it in a way to where it would be questionable. Or I've also read that some people, when they decide that that's what they're going to do, they want to tie, like they've seen it before, where they tie their hands and feet to where there's no going back. Like you can't be halfway down and be like, oh no, change my mind like there's no way for you to get out of that situation so you have to complete suicide right so it's just strange because there's a lot of weird things going around him i guess at that point so some family members mentioned to the authorities that he was suicidal however Riyadh was very religious and in islam suicide is a huge deal and according to a former student in the quran which i'm sure i'm not saying right it says that you would go straight to hell if you commit suicide there's like do not pass go so with him being super religious and that being like the worst thing that you could possibly do it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense 
the attorney that was working with Riyadh after the raid said that he didn't seem suicidal at all. He even made the comment that they will fight like hell. So it just seems like there's a lot of contradictory stuff going on. So I don't know if it was the government or if it was Riyadh just trying to keep people on their toes. But then I was also thinking maybe that's why there's a legal divorce between him and his wife. Right. If he was creating, going to create the nonprofit, then she's not tied to it and not tied to his tax returns because they're not legally married. Right. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they just got divorced for that reason. And right. They were still like together, but. Right. And I never saw anything in any of the articles about that, but I did find the divorce information in the court records and stuff on Ancestry. And it was from like maybe the 80s or the early 90s. So I don't know. It just, it was just weird. Just something I put like a pinprick in. Right. So after the autopsy was performed, the body was transferred to the Islamic Center of Greater Austin. And upon receipt of the body, Imam Ibrahim Dramali stated that the body had been returned in quote unquote barbaric condition. Oh, wow. You said barbaric condition? Yeah. Yes. Um, there were inadequate sutures. There was blood seeping out everywhere. His skull had been smashed in and the brain removed. There was bruising and cuts all over him. Dramali said that his flesh was torn as if he had been attacked by an animal. There were two very experienced colleagues with Dramali to help receive and prepare the body and they both panicked at the sight of his body and had to leave the room. But wait, I thought you said whenever they pulled him from the river that nothing was wrong with his body. Well, this was after the autopsy. Oh, oh, okay. After the autopsy. So the medical examiner's office returned his body in just awful condition. Like you wouldn't send it to a funeral home that way. Of course not. He said that they had to use towels to clean the body and to pad the brain cavity just to make him presentable for the funeral. Wow. Yeah. And then Dramali had a meeting with the former police chief, Art Acevedo, and the medical examiner, Donalink, to try and work on better practices in the medical examiner's office. Donalink issued an apology and stated that there was a miscommunication on the final prep of the body and that there was no intentional disrespect and that they would work together with the Muslim community to make sure that these mistakes don't happen in the future. But Dramali said that he cannot accept an apology and he believes that they were trying to send a message to the mosque and he believes that the authorities, quote unquote, believe that they do not have to respect the bodies of Muslims. So he felt like they were intentionally trying to be disrespectful and send him back in a way that was just, what's the word I'm looking for? Disrespectful? Yeah, just super disrespectful and they weren't handling it in a way that they weren't taking the kind of care that they should have. Right. Definitely think not of like, the care that they would with anybody else. Right. And when you think about someone's loved one passing, like you want to make sure that you're being as courteous and mindful about the situation as possible. And you wouldn't send somebody, like I said, to a funeral home looking like that. So why would you send them to the mosque? Right. Like that. Regardless of his religion or like what the suspicions of what he was doing were. Right. His background or anything like you have to put all of that aside and just do your job and do it to the best of your ability regardless if you agree or not. Exactly. So apparently when it comes to Muslims and working with the mosques, the family's supposed to give consent for an autopsy. But I assume, I guess since it was suspicious death or an unexplained death that they had to do the autopsy. But what I read was that the head of the mosque is supposed to be contacted when a Muslim is killed or found deceased. And then in that case, the head of the mosque, which is Dramali, would go and ensure that proper burial rituals were followed. And that changed 
chain of command didn't happen. So nothing so, so nothing was done correctly for him. No. So they took him and had the autopsy and then sent him back kind of like haphazardly to the mosque so that they could prepare him for burial or for the funeral. But I guess there's supposed to be like a whole protocol done. Maybe they're supposed to say, hey, we need the autopsy, regardless if they're going to do it or not. You know, like just out of courtesy, I guess they're supposed to ask for permission from the family. Right. And then I guess the head of the mosque would go and make sure that they do things adequately to make sure that they can still do the autopsy the way they need to according to protocol but then still respect their rituals and their religion and traditions i guess right that makes sense yeah so after his death his family issued a statement describing Riyadh as a peaceful activist who worked tirelessly on behalf of those less fortunate than him and was loved and admired by many members of the local as well as the international and that is the end I mean, it sounds like he was just a good guy and he just got caught up in some other crap, like tax evasion type stuff. But then they lumped it into being him being like a terrorist, even though he wasn't. Yeah, I think maybe he wasn't doing things as by the book as he should have been. I think as far as taxes and maybe the donations and keeping good records and stuff. But I think they used that as a stretch to tie him to terrorism and stuff because he was Muslim and from the Middle East. And at that point in time, and I'm sure even now, I mean, I'm oblivious to it because I don't agree. So I guess I don't listen to a lot of that stuff. I mean... I don't know. Maybe I'm just being ignorant right now. But anyway, there wasn't a lot of, they weren't held to a very high regard. Right. And so I think with the whole circumstances around that time with Muslims and Arabs and, you know, I don't know. He just wasn't treated correctly. Yeah, I don't think, like I said, I think that he wasn't doing the right thing, maybe as far as his finances and charity work, as far as documentation. And then they use that as a leap to make him over to being a terrorist and sending fraudulent documents and funneling money into the Middle East and things like that. Yeah, and it's just, Um, it's kind of sad because he was genuinely trying to do something good, it sounded like at least for the kids right and yeah all this happened just because he wasn't keeping track of his donations and doing his taxes correctly or didn't want to do his taxes whatever the case may be but it had nothing to do with him being an actual bad person yeah and i think especially even now there's so much stigma surrounding people that are immigrants in the u.s which i completely disagree with but there's just so much stigma around them and so i feel like if they don't do everything strictly by the book then people will just say things like oh well they're immigrants they're not doing things right they're not doing things like they're supposed to be they're not from this country whatever and they just use that like you give them an inch and they right go farther they automatically make them a criminal right so and i just i don't know i think like with the circumstances around his death and that he was involved in politics and knew some of the judges well and he had even written some letters to I think the president trying to get some help I guess I don't know it's just very confusing and a very in-depth story I think and there's just a lot to it and so there's just the speculation that since he was bound was he killed and thrown in the river and was it like a government cover-up or did he actually do that to himself and then try to make it look suspicious right so but they ruled it as suicide and case closed yep that was it but i guess the government can do that if they want to they sure can i mean look at all the other ladybird like deaths yeah but i don't think that's made it to like a federal level yet no of course not but i'm just saying like the fact that they would 
do an autopsy and rule it as suicide rather than something that was more malicious than what it was, even though it was clearly not right. Like something was wrong there. If you're bound, it's not suicide. Nobody like binds themselves and then throws themselves into a a lake. And if you're going to do that, then you would at least tie something to yourself to hold yourself down. I don't know. I can kind of see the other side of it where people who are um, committing suicide or completing suicide, I guess is how you're supposed to say it now, that they will tie themselves up so that there's like, we're doing this. Oh, so that they can't stop themselves? Yeah. Oh, I guess I didn't know that. (laughs) I said it a few minutes ago. Well, maybe you did. You got nothing? (laughs) No. (laughs) But yeah, that's the story on Rian. And I just was looking up, like I said, the Lady Bird Lake stuff. And I came across this story and I thought, wow, that's interesting. I don't know why I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about it either. You said it was 2008. Yeah, when he passed away. Yeah, so 2008, like we were out of high school and somewhat adults. So we should have heard about something about this. But well, I guess we were pretty young still and maybe just didn't really care about the news yet. I mean, I had just gotten married to baby daddy number one. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe it just wasn't on our radar. Maybe. But either way, it seems like it was pretty significant for us not to know about it. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, like there's a lot of um, articles and Reddit threads and of course now when I try to find more information on it it pulls up all the other Ladybird Lake stuff which isn't connected to this right just the at fact all. that so he was in Ladybird Lake same body of water yeah he was not partying down on Rainy Street or Sixth Street and then found in the lake no but yeah that's it. So I hope you guys like this one. We're always open to recommendations or feedback. So feel free to reach out at unstablemomspod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at unstablemomspod. And I think we're working on TikTok. I think it's up, but there's no videos yet. We will get there. We'll get there and we'll link all of that up on the Instagram. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.